Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the tin drum of extreme metal podcasts. I am the death metal guy, aka limited vinyl drop from Tommy Wright III on Go to War X. Is that a rapper? Yeah, old school Memphis a stuff. Country artist. All right. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I am the black metal guy, aka dreaming pinch harmonics. <laughs> dreaming in little squeezies. I kid you not. I kid you not, I woke up with um, hearing immolation riffs. <laughs> you listen to it that much, huh? Like, I, I, yeah, I'd listen to it a bunch for the show, and like, it just the music that was going through my head as I woke up was just immolation riffs, and I swear there were fucking pinch harmonics. <laughs> well, there's a lot of pinch harmonics in immolation, so that makes sense. There uh, are, although this new record has uh, fewer. <laughs> <laughs> that's the gradients. That's how you. That's how you rate an immolation record. Is you, based you, on yeah. You well. You have to under exactly. It's like immolation records are all sort of sliders on things. Like okay, this one has more pinch harmonics. Okay, this one is you know more mid tempo, right, or less mid tempo. Um, but um, anyway, we should talk about that um second when when we actually get to it. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Let's see. So yeah, we don't we don't have an intro segment this time, guys. Uh, yeah, we do. But, well, the the people want to know your character in Elden Ring. The people who aren't <laughs> the on the people, Discord. The people who want to know my character in Elden Ring. Well, so. One of our Danny Filth patrons who's not on the Discord specifically, but I'm sure that means everyone else wants to know. Uh, yeah. So I'm doing. Uh, I'm close to the end now. I'm doing a sort of blended strength dex build. Uh, I'm running. I forget the name uh, of the weapon. Quality but build. That's what it's called. Quality, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah, haven't yeah. even fucked around with like the, the Ash of War, like quality mm-hmm. versus force. Or quality is just the word for blended strength decks if you're using weapons that are about balanced at distribution. Yeah, that's what I'm so running. So, like I, a bastard yeah. sword or certain kinds of fast great swords would be quality, but not like the mega great swords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not using any colossal weapons or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually doing. Uh, I forget the name of it specifically, but I'm using the one uh, frostbite axe uh, that you find in like an optional crypt, like a third to midway through the game. And that I'm, sounds pretty sick. Yeah, no, it's actually it's been doing really well for me. And uh, I'm actually running old school like Dark Souls one uh, axe and shield. Uh, oh hell yeah! Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I haven't been like power stancing with double. I tried it a little bit early on, but um, it's kind of weird because of the FromSoft games, uh, uh, Bloodborne is my favorite. So I'm used to doing these very sort of aggressive builds. That's always where mm-hmm. I felt comfortable. But for Elden Ring in particular, the shield felt like it had a lot more utility than people give it credit for. And uh, so yeah, I've been been playing oh. kind of a kind of a balanced all around character. Yeah, I, I don't have a system, so I've been following it sort of remotely right now, just like listening to lore vids and watching some playthroughs, but not too much to spoil it. And uh, <laughs> you're you're one of those like old guys that buys every new edition of Dungeons and Dragons, and not to play it, but to just, but just argue to with people with about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's me with Warhammer too. It's like you know, you know I expect that I'm going to have a little more time to deal with things like this and a little more money shortly, but um. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna play Elden Ring. I just haven't had a chance yet, and it's um, the uh, what I've noticed is that like, I mean, I think this is sort of a consensus is that, like the game is 
clearly meant to be super anime in a way that's kind of fun, but like the the core of the games should always be about just like basic mechanics of sword fighting, you know. Yeah. Sword, shield, uh, you know, whatever other somewhat cooler weapon. But like I feel like it's a I feel like it's the power move to just have an axe and a shield. <laughs> old school old school viking berserker shit mm-hmm. um yeah no it's a i, I would say that like uh, it feel like the moment-to-moment gameplay feels very comparable to uh, you know the rest of the from soft titles mm-hmm. you know stuff like sekiro accepted obviously mm-hmm. but uh yeah no i've uh, i've just crossed the hundred hour threshold i've had a, i've had a really good time with it but at this point I'm, I'm pretty ready to wrap it up i think in the next couple sessions i'll probably be wrapping up a hundred hours is a lot of time to dedicate to a game when you're in your 30s you know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah for sure yeah Okay, so, uh, Elden Ring discussion out of the way. Uh, quick announcement for everybody, it is that time of year, and uh, Terminus is about to go on summer vacation. Uh, it's our usual two-week break in the middle of the year that has become uh, a, a, a beloved tradition, for us at least. <laughs> this, is, this seems to be the time of year where work gets really hot for both of us. In, uh, in various ways. So, yeah, uh, after this episode, we're going to take two weeks off, and then we will be uh, back in full force with the 100th episode, actually, of Terminus. And uh, we're, uh, we're figuring out some ways to try and make that one special for everybody. Uh, so, a uh, couple weeks off, and then we'll be back. But if you don't want it to end, there's a couple ways you can keep up with the goings-on while we're on our pseudo vacation which means we're just putting even more time into our like day jobs <laughs> mm-hmm. uh so uh easiest way to do that is by following us on social media me the death metal guy uh at terminus podcast on facebook and the black metal guy on instagram at terminus extreme metal and then additionally if you if you have to maintain the parasocial relationship and the idea of not hearing our dulcet tones drives you further and further into a black chasm of sorrow and despair <laughs> the the easiest way to ameliorate that deficiency in your spirit <laughs> is by providing us with your money <laughs> What's damn that? you're on fire tonight <laughs> I fucking I don't know. That's man. that's some that's some S tier shilling. <laughs> yeah, man, I've, I'm well practiced at this point. Yeah. So, but yeah, if you want to follow, uh, if you want to follow us during our break and beyond, uh, three dollars and up on Patreon gets you access to our Terminus Prime bonus episodes, as well as you know I haven't really shilled this the Terminus After Dark episodes, which is a a more casual sit by the fire Joe Rogan kind of experience with the guys from Terminus. The bad- <laughs> boundary between those and the formal bonus episodes is not totally clear. It has blurred um, considerably. I guess, yeah. yeah. There are moments when we randomly shit. Yeah, there are moments where we'll do like a half hour of just like verbal shit posting or whatever. But the, um, or mostly just complaining about metal. <laughs> just um, bitching. Really, in the show, we try to be as positive as possible. And then afterwards, we bitch. Yeah. We just um, get negative as fuck about everything immediately. We, we get after. extremely <laughs> negative, you know. Um but the um it was surprise, surprise, we hate everything. Um but the um uh but yeah, it's um I mean yeah, really it is like some like metal dad shit. Um oh, God, but the um yeah. 
Yeah, but but anyway, yeah. Um, also, I thought of another thing, another patron benefit, kind of, is just, like, we occasionally just ask them for tips, right? Like, this week, I was just like, I cannot find a fucking record. Somebody recommends some black metal albums. And they did. Uh, and, you know, but I ultimately... Went with my, <laughs> you went ultimately, with my you ultimately took none of their advice into account. But I have in the past. I have in the past, and certainly people who are patrons give us tips about things all the time. Like send us shit. You know, well, I mean, shit. Ha- half the time they end up, you know, posting the records we cover in the intervening period between us recording and posting. Like they already know what we're gonna cover. That's that's very true. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, as I always said, so three dollars and up gets you access to those bonus episodes and. $5 and up gets you access to uh, the Terminus Black Circle, our uh, private Discord server where we can, you know, share uh, Ranny from Elden Ring Rule 34 and uh, talk about our favorite uh, Gornoise demos. So it's a, it's a good time. It's a good time all around. But uh, we got we to gotta, we gotta wrap up this half season, so let's talk about fucking music. Hey, all this is Brandon from Cromley, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, so I, I know all of you heard the intro. You're all excited for our thoughts on the big record, but that comes later. You have to eat your vegetables before you get your dessert. And your vegetables in this case, though, are, are pretty good. They're like a properly roasted Brussels sprout or something. Hmm. Um, in this case, we have the newest record by Melancholy Pessimism, titled Shut Up, Give Up, and Obey, out now on Bizarre Leprous Production. Uh, Melancholy Pessimism is a surprisingly unknown band. Uh, they are a Czech death grind band who have been around in some form or another since 1992, but really haven't gotten much attention outside of, you know... Uh, you know, Chechia itself and really dedicated Eastern European death grind guys. Um, I mean, there was a period of time where the whole uh, Czech grind scene was like pretty popular in the 2000s. Uh, you know, there was kind of a, a fad for a few years where it was super hot. Um, but even during that time, nobody really talked about melancholy pessimism. But they've got this really long established pedigree in that scene. So I've heard uh, some of the band's older records, and they've always been a really solid death grind band that tended to have uh, kind of an experimental streak. You know, every album focused on kind of different ideas. They'd play around with some ideas outside of metal uh, in a lot of cases. And, uh, you know, it was it was always just really, really good and interesting music. Um, but now we're back with their, let's see, eighth or a seventh full-length record. Oh, hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Yeah, that is the eighth full-length record. Um, and it's a, it's going to be a little bit different. So uh, there was a gap between 2010 and 2019 where they weren't producing anything, uh, and it looks like there was a huge lineup switch. The only original member now is the vocalist. Uh, so it's now it's it's almost like a new band. However, in keeping with the spirit, uh, that's been established on prior records. Um, so I was really interested to see your reaction to this, and you ended up actually really liking it, which kind of surprised me, because this is very... Um, I think this doesn't really do a lot of the things you typically look for in death metal, but I'm interested in what about it appeals to you so much. Well, what 
are the things I look for in death metal? Well, I think, uh, well, I mean, we'll talk about that on the next review <laughs> to mm-hmm. a degree. But I do think um, you are attracted to uh, death metal that kind of, in a sense, does black metal things in a different way. Um, you know, I think that you like, I, I think one of the big things that you look for in death metal is um, a, a specific kind of melodic arrangement that you don't typically get in black metal. Uh, I think that, mm-hmm. I think that to a degree you look for technical performance uh, as a component of it just because that's such a distinct feature of death metal, kind of distinguishing it from black metal at the most Look basic for level. the distinguishing features. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but you have to remember, I also like Grave. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> and so, I mean, in a sense, you could say that's doing things like black metal and then it has four riffs and it's retarded. But, like, it's, um, uh, you know, the other side of it is, I yeah, so there's something where I, like, go to death metal for these very a very different articulation of certain kinds of moods that aren't, you know, foreign to the black metal universe. But mm-hmm. like, on the other hand, I, you know, I tend to listen to death metal as hardcore, right? That's the other thing. We're I was about, about to say, and that's the other idea is you listen to a lot of death metal that sort of does things that hardcore does. And this is, yeah, often better than hardcore, you know? Um, but this is a, um, case of a, yeah, I don't know. I just think of this as a grind record, um, and it's a really thrashy kind of death grind record. Um, it seems um, some of the Eastern European stuff, this is just an overall impression. I couldn't give you an example. But some of the Eastern European stuff, even when it's good, is simultaneously a little too crusty and a little too clean. Mm-hmm. Like, the things off of Self-Made God where I'm more kind of like, hey, yeah, this is cool, right? Some of the stuff on there I really like, right? But some of it, it's, um, some of it's just more like, okay, this is solid, right? Very very sort of clean, like, modern grind ideas. Yeah, clean, modern grind with sort of, like, mid, sort of chunky, midi crust riffs that are unremarkable in themselves, Mm -hmm. um... You know, like, the really good crust grind is often extreme, either sort of stenchy and filthy or, like, really raw. Like, there's a Polish band called, like, Wojtyla or something. Just W-O-T-Y-L. I don't know. I don't fucking know. It ends with an A. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, But that that I like a lot. But, um, the, um... So I like this because it has it certainly has the punk underpinnings of grindcore there. They haven't forgotten about that. But it really does what I think the best grind should, which, as we say, is grinds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> both in terms of just having this relentless internal momentum, but also uh, deliberately drawing... You know, no particular stylistic move is off the table. Right? Mm-hmm. Every kind of riff. There's no such thing as a grind riff, with certain exceptions, as we found out. But like almost every, uh, you know, it's like grab bag riffing, and the grab bag riffing on this is, it all sounds really modern, but it's structured like thrash for a lot of it. Um, but yeah. a lot of the chords and tones sound like uh, sort of modern abrasive death metal or beatdown. Um, yeah, no, I, it, I agree. It, yeah, and or even like just not not really slam per se, although there are slams on here, but more like a brutal death tone to some degree. Um, 
So it's it, it's got a cool thing where it works. It really does work like grind, but it's making the most out of various kinds of modern extremity, and it is not excessively polished, in part because the production has some rough edge to it, but more than that, because it uses sort of like ugly chords and really high-pitched, really high-paced chugging and sorts of just like vicious patterns that you can really only get out of Death and Thrash technique. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with everything mm. that you said. I, I would say that the Czech grind scene, uh, I, I use that as a very broad term. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, when I mean that, I mean sort of a juxtaposition of like death metal and grindcore mm-hmm. and sort of metallic crust and some mm-hmm. other stuff. Over in the Czech scene, all that stuff kind of floats together. Uh, there isn't nearly as much distinction between sort of like crusty hardcore scenes and metal scenes, uh, as far mm-hmm. as I've seen. Uh, and everything over there is going to incorporate all of those influences, but it's typically typically going to lean in one direction or another a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And melancholy pessimism traditionally definitely leans very heavily in the death metal direction. Um so to talk about this in relation to the rest of their discography, uh, I know that you're not familiar with the earlier stuff, but I, one of the important things is this doesn't really have the outside of metal influence that a lot of mm. their records typically do. Um, the Czech grind scene always had a reputation for being uh, very experimental, especially in its heyday. And there were moments where that resulted in really great stuff, and there were moments where it just got kind of goofy. And I think that Melancholy Pessimism mostly stayed on the side of just having cool, very weird ideas. You know, it's like, oh, how do we th- how do we make a saxophone work in the breakdown of this one song? And I think that's what kind of made them cool was as something that we'll also notice as we go through this record and we start covering samples. Um, there's definitely a sense of uh, individual songs being able to have individual singular components, and it doesn't need to be a thing necessarily applied to all the other songs. We, I got to come up with a better term for that. That's something I've talked about on the show before. You know, the idea of, you know, let's say on a black metal record, there is one song with clean vocals. They don't need a clean vocalist for the whole album. You know, mm-hmm. they, they allow the 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 statement to stand on its own on a single track, um, which is something melancholy pessimism always did. And here it still happens. It's just a lot more subtle. Um, so I think that this is a record. This is definitely like a sort of deep cut death metal record for people who just have a, a ton of like death and grind experience. Um, and in some ways it's almost parallel to something like the Corpus Christi record we covered where, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, you don't. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you don't really get um, the the rhetorical you. You don't really get the uh, all the nuances of this until you've just listened to tons, tons, and tons of records, and then you start oh. to realize, oh, these are guys with, you know, uh, even though this is a newer lineup, like at least two, closer to three decades of experience playing Death and Grind between them. They know songwriting tricks that are just the result of tons of practice and jamming. And so, well, oh, go ahead. The other crucial thing is that um, it sounds, I mean, I guess I was kind of saying this without saying it before. It's like, unlike many other old bands, it sounds like they still listen to, they keep up with, not just with grind or death metal, but with everything. 
Yeah, and I think like that's they a... they listen to music that was released in the last 10 years and like it and incorporate into their sound. Yeah, and I think that's a component that we've noticed, uh, especially from, like, older bands, uh, you know, which, which you know, at first blush, you can imagine, okay, you know, these guys are probably approaching 50, you know, they, they've got the music that they grew up on, maybe they've gotten stuck on it. But I think uh, over the course of a couple of years on the show, we've really noticed that... Um, the coolest bands of guys who are getting a little bit longer in the tooth, just Mm -hmm. in in terms of what you would imagine a metalhead to be, are the guys who have that firm understanding of what made old school metal so great, but have not decided that's the be-all, end-all of it. Yeah, well, that was true with Corpus Christi, too, right? Yes, yes. Both, like, it sounded extremely sleek and modern, but, like... Not even in a way that would be current today, like in a way that would have been current 10 years ago (laughs) in this weird way. Uh, But like none of the basic things that were done on the Corpus Christi record were alien at all to the fundamental vocabulary of second wave BM, right? That they would Mm -hmm. pass the Euronymous test with flying colors. You'd be like, production's too nice, but like this is good. Mm -hmm. Um, If you, and I think same with this melancholy pessimism, like it doesn't do anything different from early 90s death thrash it just does it with different parts and a way different tones different parts a way greater range of styles to draw from yeah and it and it naturally incorporates sort of technological advancements that if they were available in 93 everybody would fucking do yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'll get in. I'll get into that in detail on certain samples. You yeah. know, just hey, <laughs> use that pedal that makes it sound cold and harsh. Yeah, exactly. So, well, speaking of which, let's uh, let's listen to music. I think you've got the first one this time. Yeah. So, um, this is uh, six steps from disgust to attraction. Um, I almost sampled this one. This is a really good oh, one. it's fantastic. Um, and uh. So this is a kind of a song within a song structure. It's longer than you might expect for something like this, right? That longer songs can, you know, not like a minute and a half, give this something in common with death metal. Um, but uh, this is the third track on the record, and yeah, you're getting this interesting song within a song. We're going to come in one riff into the inner song, and uh, so starting on the second riff, and I regret to inform you, the lyric is not Jesus was a eunuch, but I will forever hear it that way. <laughs>
I'm really glad you uh, sampled that section. That was I, I thought about sampling that on my first listen, and then there was just other stuff I wanted to draw attention to. But I'm very glad you got that part. Yeah, man. So like, lot to talk about there, but spe- especially, um, uh, I mean, obviously the vocal line jumps out is really catchy. But really, let's talk about the core riffing. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end, you've got the and. Um, there's like an initial blasting sequence that goes into a thrash riff, and I heard you say, that's a good thrash riff. Yeah. That's the riff that was playing at the end, right? This is a great example of what we're talking about. Structurally, that could be a Slayer riff. It could almost be on Kill 'em All. Um, it's just a thrash riff. However, it's being played with, they're using this sort of um, very modern tone, um, and it's being played with uh, scronk chords. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're just like uh, doing that thing where instead of a power chord, you play a tritone and you just slide it all the way up. It, it, but the way they're doing that, it sounds like fucking skin chamber or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, like that's like the skin chamber slide riff. Uh, and it sounds like a lot of something you would hear in more recent uh, beatdown or, you know, kind of like heavy music with a real just nasty industrial edge to it mm-hmm. um it's one of those and it works when they're playing it with that kind of chord and phrasing it in this way it's phrased in just a much more heavy way um than it could be if you were playing that as throwback thrash or black thrash or whatever um mm-hmm. and it's um the heavier tone helps the, like the you know more low end um and, but the way they're playing it with that scronk chord is it um, the scronk chords uh, is it, it works like one of those shotgun cocking riffs, right? Yeah. You get to yeah. the end of the riff and you cock the shotgun. The charge, um, yeah. Which we, we hear on you know, you can trace that all the way back to Winter, who will come up again, this review but, you know, or to Bolt Thrower uh, but uh, it's really exaggerated on a lot of new stuff that is just crushing a down tempo, right? Like, like Fluids has those yeah, yeah. Um, um, what I think is really interesting about this part is the idea that, like, and this is something that recurs throughout the record, it's sort of like all of these riffs are, in a sense, the same riff, just played with different inflections of genre. Um, mm-hmm. Like, when you break into that thrash riff, they do a modification mm-hmm. of it, which is like the hardcore take on it. Um mm-hmm. And then getting back to one of my original ideas, the idea of, you know, isolated moments or elements of songs, uh, the, the sort of like half sung vocal passage in this, this is the only time on the album that happens, oh, I believe. Those are, dude, uh, those are awesome. And the other cool thing is I think they're not on the root note. They're sort of suspended. Over. Yeah. There's like, there's an odd sort of harmonization going on there. He's it's like very, str- uh, straining up kind of bellowing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little like a killing joke vocal, um, but really sounds very, very faithfully thrashy. Uh, yeah. I think and, I think it's probably specifically from like early Strapping Young Lad. Ah, uh, of, of all things, yeah. But given their kind of experimental pension, I could see them being really into that. Interesting. I mean, probably also a bit like Carnivore in that. Oh, yeah, vocals, yeah, yeah. Vocals kind of blown out and way to the front. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it really works in the mix in Carnivore, which is one of those bands that should be like one of my favorite bands, but just has never clicked for me. Really, that's um, interesting. Right. I'll give it, you know, I give it a try every once in a while, but you know, uh, Re- Retaliation's very good. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
it's um i mean in concept i fucking love it right but, yeah, um, yeah 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 <laughs> it's it, like it, it, it's kind of like that agnostic front that Pete, record that Pete Steele wrote too. Like it's a solid record, but it's basically just crossover. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, I feel you. The um, like you want it to be just really thuggish and vicious and like metallic, and it's it's really not. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the or you want it to sound like oi too, and it doesn't. Um, yeah. But the uh, you want it to be like the thrash oi holy grail. Um, but yeah, so this is um. This, though, yeah, so it's maybe got a bit of that, like, okay, sort of flamboyant frontman thrash thing, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, um, uh, Devin Townsend or Pete Steele. But um, the um, the other thing would be uh, to talk about there is the detail and the breakdown. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the breakdown, it's sort of, yeah, it's derived from the main chug riff. But the reason they're able to play that breakdown so many times is because it's actually a four-rep sequence. Each And it's A, B, C, D. Each part of the sequence has a different turnaround. And mm-hmm. like the, in a breakdown riff like that, the turnaround is the thing that gives it its character. right? So each one has a different one. And I think they repeat, like, they do 12 times. They do three of four, and then come back in, something like that. And it's... Uh, that's that kind of like um, sign of a master kind of thing, right? It, there, there are younger bands who do things like that, but that attention to detail is really characteristic of people who've been around the block and who are no longer, uh, who are no longer just sort of, um, you know, a lot of younger bands who are playing these kinds of like uglier down tempo sounds are just really invested in the novelty of the sound itself yeah and these guys are jaded enough that they're like okay yeah this down tune shit is cool but like let's make these sick thrash riffs man. yeah what, what, what are we like, gonna yeah, what are we gonna do with this sound riffs. yeah yeah what are we gonna do with this sound and they know what makes a they know what a slam and what a beatdown is um as we'll hear neck in my next sample but um they know all that, but they also remember what makes that those are derived from the breakdown. So, what makes a good breakdown? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Is, yeah, yeah. You'll you'll hear a lot of those kind of nested breakdown structures uh, yeah. across this record. Um, there's parts of this record that are insanely fast, but uh, a lot of this just kind of operates at like an upper mid tempo, a very confident kind of upper yeah. mid tempo. Um, so uh, let's get to actually the very next track on the record. I think that um, I think that six steps is where the record really takes off. Uh, first couple songs are solid, but they didn't really grab me. That like you, I think that's the one where it's like, okay, okay, here's where we're really getting going. So the very next song, "Pandemic Corruption," is uh, one of the shorter tracks. For information on, on the COVID pandemic, please see this helpful link for the CDC. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's a, that. That is an interesting thing to note. Melancholy pessimism has always been um, like stridently political, but but not in the way that a lot of people might imagine. That it's more just like extremely anti-authoritarian and just suspicious. It was like uh, when we talked about the committee way back in the day. Mm-hmm. It's that same philosophy of just pure suspicion of anybody in power yeah. ever. And it's sort um, of like abs actual anarchy. Yeah, absolute yeah. anarchy. Not 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 moralized or democratic anarchy. You just like you just fucking get away from me. I've got a shotgun. Exactly. Yeah, and they're they're really into that. <laughs> yeah. um, so pandemic corruption. Um, this is a really cool example of 
where I think this this record really succeeds, which is on a structural level. So a lot of these songs were based around very specific kind of cellular um, guitar motifs that are used to direct the flow of the song. So here on Pandemic Corruption, you're going to hear this very needling sort of, uh, uh, you know, G-string uh, ascending <laughs> the needling G string. The needling Sorry. G string. Uh, the, uh, the the sort of ascending cryptopsy type figure, and mm. that uh, is going to be used over and over again as a signpost for abrupt switches in the feel and the direction of the song. stuff happens on these songs there's just a ton of parts that don't really seem distinct from each other immediately that was a lot of riffs that's a lot of riffs that are all kind of similar they're all in like the same general worlds but they have an agglutinative effect of you know adding up Mm -hmm. to a kind of narrative structure absolutely um but you'll hear that uh, that sort of keening, um, deliberately obnoxious sort of cryptopsy riff is used as the signpost for like multiple transitions throughout the entire song. Um, you know the, the sort of like yeah yeah that yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, it, it it pops up. It'll be arranged different harmonically. Uh, it will be played different numbers of times. You know there will be little. Uh, little alterations in the exact intervals and stuff, but you always recognize, okay, this is an indicator of like a big switch that's about to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. It's an interesting songwriting conceit, and you'll hear that a lot across the record. Um, So much of this is based off a very traditional sort of death metal philosophy of like big whiplash changes in uh, melodic ideas and rhythmic ideas. Um, but uh, you know what they do? Melancholy pessimism uses those kind of signpost riffs, if we want to call them that, in the place where other people would like drop the drums, do solo guitar to introduce a new riff. Mm-hmm. Instead, they weave it into these little fill structures that slot in organically uh, and provide this nice bridging texture into an idea that's like dramatically different. Um, it's it's almost it's almost a, a sort of classical philosophy 
in a way. Uh, it's I just think it's really interesting. It's one of those subtleties that elevates this record because I think we both agree that this is not a record that's really about big riffs. I don't think it's um, it doesn't typically have you know uh, huge moments. Uh, from riff to riff, you know, the the real pleasure of this record is kind of unraveling these elaborate songs. Yeah, although I would say it riffs exactly in the way music like this should. It's just mm. full mm. of really good, you know, like we talk about the cult of the good DB riff, right? And yeah. had, you know, like the first Discharge records, the, or dis, you know, yeah, Discharge themselves and a few other of the very best DB bands actually have riff-focused D-beat records, as in, like, there's two riffs per song, and they're extremely memorable. But, like, um, most, like, a lot of music like this just relies on um, really well-written attack riffs, just aggressive rhythm guitar. And I, I think this band has it in spades. Um, mm -hmm. And it's in part because they're making use of all this thrash vocabulary. I think that's something I've been on all over this year, is just like... Um, A good use of thrash vocabulary. Uh, yeah, yeah, like I agree with you that, you know, thrash metal for the most part sucked, right? But thrash, right? Maybe thrash metal, not so much, but thrash as an idea, right? Perfected by the craziest thrash bands that is something worth carrying forward and you can carry it forward into all sorts of genre contexts, right? Yeah. So like here, so, you know, we hear it in Brutal and Tech Death, right? We hear it um, in certain kinds of uh, black metal in interesting ways. Uh, and here we're hearing it in, in Death Grind, you know? Uh, a band that's on the brain for cause for me because I've been listening to them a lot, uh, that I just fucking love them, is Ares Kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. That is push. That is like one of the heaviest. I would like put that tied with Solstice for like best heavy metal record ever, or whatever, or like best. You know, it, it may be the best thrash metal record ever after like fucking you know Slayer or whatever. It's it's just um, like, you know, that is thrashy, but it has nothing to do with thrash metal. And the way that this band has these like super. Well, nothing to do is an overstatement. But the, the way this band has, like... The way Melancholy Pessimism has this kind of, like... Uh, they play these chuggers, but just in it... Like, they make them better in all these obvious ways. Like, yeah, just, like, tune it lower. Use a more crusty <laughs> guitar sound. Play better riffs that aren't all in sort of, like, harmonic minor. Or whatever, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. It just... It, it's good to hear stuff like this. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, what, I think what you're getting at is just a sort of like really impressive broad spectrum understanding of the evolution of death metal and the right time and place to go back in time and mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. use those originating ideas without turning it into just a, a tribute to the old school, man. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to, to, to use those ideas to make something like genuinely kind of new and compelling. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to get to my next sample, uh, which is toward the end of the record. Uh, it's a pyramidal power, which I assume is like an anti Illuminati song, given the, uh, the album art and everything. Um, so uh, a really distinguishing feature about this record is uh, an outstanding drum performance. Uh, it is never overstated. Uh, 
but if you're listening closely, you'll find a, a ton of subtlety, a wonderful sense of groove. It, it's very musical drumming in general. Um, and I guess just as kind of like a side note, uh, I really love the way this record uses gravity blasts as like a a primary drum figure. Because um, that was one of the things that I was thinking of is like the idea of technological advancements that we would have used in '93. Yeah. Why the fuck? Everyone would have been using gravity blasts. It's oh, like a blast true. beat, but it's faster. Yes. That's a really good criterion for progress in everything. It's like, you know, there's a lot of shit going on today that a Viking may, would have made Vikings laugh or cry. But if you had showed them like a pickup truck, they would have been like, this is fucking sick. Yeah. <laughs> you show them a, a solid Tacoma. They're like, yeah, this this seems like this seems like a vehicle of Odin. <laughs> but yeah, it's like I, I that's actually something I've always been curious about is like why has the gravity blast as a drum figure been relegated to we like We talked about this with Holocaust or Cannibal. I was saying that. Like why don't they all fucking do this? Right? Because that's pretty straightforward. That's like more both it's more clean and more crushing right it's not like thrashy it's not in this sort of thrashy tradition right that's just like hyper fast hyper slow death grind um and the gravity blasts there uh, i would just wish they did them the whole album yeah it's yeah, like so i understand that you can have different you don't need just gravity blasts it's it's better if there are not if it's not so you can crank up and down but the um yeah, I completely agree. Why it, the, the the tools are there? Why not use them? Yeah, exactly. It's like it's it's an it's a technique that should just be I fundamental mean, to death metal. You know? If you want to think about a technique that's fundamental to the idea of grinding, what distinguishes grind is it like a gravity blast? In blast beats don't have to inherently grind. A gravity blast inherently grinds. Yes. If you're playing a gravity blast in any way that doesn't grind, you're playing early 2000s tech death and you should stop. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so Pyramidal Power, we're going to go to the, uh, the beginning of the track. I love the intro section's drumming. Uh, and it's a, it's a motif that comes up repeatedly throughout the song. This wonderful sort of like drunken... Um, blast beat with these quick snapping like rolling fills in the mm, middle of it mm. on the snare it sounds fucking awesome it's actually a relatively simple kind of 4-4 four, four thing but it sounds so intricate and so chaotic when you're listening to it it's wonderful and then from there the band just spills out into riff after riff constantly you know shifting momentum recontextualizing things and it's just it's a great little microcosm of the record as a whole Oh! 
again, so much cool stuff happening in such a small period of time. Um, oh, yeah. And I find myself just really drawn to the way this band transitions between riffs. Like, almost like those transitions are somehow like the heart of these songs. It's it's not any individual well, riff. It's the texture of how well, they shift between them. That's the grindcore thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's uh, I, like, uh, I mean, we both heard it like when they snap from the, when they go back to kind of the intro triplet figure into that just neck snapping fucking choppy thrash. You were calling it a D-beat riff, which is interesting. I didn't think of it as a oh, D-beat Oh, the thing riff. right at the end with the solo over it? Yeah, yeah. Well, there were <laughs> super sped up D-beats, and he was, it was like a sweet death riff. They used mm-hmm. a few of them on this record, but they're using them not in the sweet death ghetto, right? Uh it was like the craziest dismember rhythm part. Like he was playing chords that were like over an octave apart from each other on the fretboard or some shit. Like yeah, it's just really very weird. Sounds yeah. sort of epic, but has really nasty chromaticisms in it. Um, it, it was basically part of the solo. Yeah, yeah, that 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 crazy sort of just like all trim bar fucking noise solo yeah the thing that's the thing like it's all about the transitions and the and the sort of the ordering of things but the riffs themselves are i think just consistently several cuts above the above par for this kind of thing like the thrash riff there was just a straight ahead thrash riff at the beginning of that sample Mm -hmm. that could have been on like I, i don't know you know um uh, what, what's the one before Pleasure to Kill? Endless Pain? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it, it, and it would be better than some of the riffs on there, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's kind of like, a, you know, I, I've been listening to Kill 'Em All again lately, and just like, shit, most of this record's great. Um, yeah. But, the, um, yeah. but it's like, yeah, it's, it's just like that, and they nail it, and then they're like, what do you think they're going to do? Oh, they just... They, they play one other standard thrash riff and then they just hit the gravity blasts. It's, it's hilarious and there's no reason you can't do that, right? Yeah, no, no, exactly. And it's like I, even after when they, they get into that other like more standard thrash riff, mm-hmm. again, just like subtle dimensions of like, okay, you know, drumming. It's like it's a pretty standard technique. So you've got this old school sort of like almost scream bloody gore type primitive death thrash riff. And you've got the the sort of pseudo DB going, and then it goes into just a crushing blast under the same riff. And then I love the way they flip into the final riff of this sample, Um, you know, uh, high up on the neck intro of the riff. And when they go into the full version, they drop it down an octave, Um, Mm -hmm. which is which is such a it seems so small in the grand scheme of things, but it totally changes the context. You know, it, it, it darkens the riff. You know, you've got this kind of sprightly, again, Cryptopsy figure. I think Cryptopsy is probably like a primary thing going on on this record. Um, and then it drops down and it becomes, you know, it's the same riff, just an octave lower, but the, the chromaticisms are brought out by that lower pitch. Um, and uh, so I, I guess what I'm saying is... Uh, like you were saying, yeah, no, there are a lot of good riffs on this record, but I think what makes them really good is just not really a matter of note choice. It's entirely about, like, right-hand work, sort of, like, inflection and tonal control over the guitar. A lot of these are stock riffs made extremely good by a very sophisticated guitarist. Yeah, I get what you mean about it not being note choice per, per se. Um... Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, he's very aware of the rhythmic. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. like even yeah. even that first thrash riff in the in the sample I did before, right, which had the the scronky chords, right. Mm-hmm. In terms of the root notes, there that was a standard thrash riff. Um, yeah, yeah. It's um. Well, I think it just goes to show just how important for sort of thrash style riffs a a tremendous right hand is, because you can elevate a sort of standard figure from, you know, pretty good to great just by knowing how to dig into the chords and how to really play guitar in a way that's sort of been forgotten in a well, lot of extreme metal. It's, it's, it's about timing, and it's it's not like you're... Ne- I do think it's about note choice to some degree. It's just not about, like, you're not trying to give every riff its distinct melodic or harmonic idea. You just know where to put them. That's all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like... You know, even if you just took the root notes of the thrash riffs or whatever, they're still like, you know, they sound way nastier than many things in similar scales do. And it's because mm-hmm. they know where to put the notes. Um, but, you know, that that's just an obsession of mine. But I know what you mean about the rhythm thing, and I've become way more attentive to rhythm stuff through this show, I think. They're talking about stuff with you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The... Um, so, last sample, uh, speaking of rhythm, um, War Funeral March, obviously the last track. Um, so if I just heard this sample, I'd assume these guys were Zoomers. <laughs> That is that thing that was at the beginning and end of the sample. That is the nowadays beatdown trudge, mm-hmm. right? Um, that kind of like downbeat chug pattern, right? Um, we've heard it in stuff we really like, like the fluids. Um, we've heard it in stuff that wasn't so good, like Terminal Nation. It's just all over very current uh, beatdowny shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, these guys. Uh, 
it, you know, in many formats, it's not even a rhythm I like that much. It's it's like a, a particular articulation of this kind of super heavy thing that uh, often the rhythm is just doesn't land for me. Mm-hmm. These guys yeah. hit it out of the park. It just sounds... I don't even think, oh yeah, it's that trudge beat. Well, it's um, what's really interesting, because listening to it again a little bit closer, mm-hmm. I realize there's a ton of nuance to it that you don't hear from those other bands like exactly so for the other bands when they're just doing the you know just down picking kind of filler you know uh open chord stuff yeah other bands just use the same chord the whole time melancholy pessimism Mm -hmm. on that riff is using a descending chromatic figure every time they go back to that chug there's a whole there's a kind of counterpoint melodic dimension occurring and it's a very simple just like almost mortician like four three two one thing it's a thrash thing um like just da 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 and, and then, but it, it goes down a half step every time when it does that little slide down, uh, with every repetition when they go back to the chugs. So it's like there's, oh, okay. yeah, there's these really subtle things going on that again elevate these kind of stock figures way beyond what you would yeah. expect. Yeah, and they also, I mean, the turnarounds there, uh, you could hear them adding turnarounds as they repeated mm-hmm. it, and at the end they were doing just like fast thrash leads. As the turnarounds, yeah, right? yeah, it's um, it's it's really are, sophisticated. That, it's that secretly is not sophisticated. <laughs> any of these bands would do, right? Uh, the, another thing they do is that the, the drumming is better there. They keep the um, uh, they're not just doing like sort of like, uh, you know, snare kick, right? They they keep double bass rhythms going, and it's not constant double bass either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, also, uh, one thing we were talking about, bring back the death metal stop-start riff. Yeah, yeah. So to explain, we were talking about that part where they're doing a, um, uh, like, a just kind of a racing thrash beat into a blast and back, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got that cool, staggered, uh, you know, stop-start death metal riff with a bunch of negative space around it. And it's now, you know, that's been kind of dismissed as like, oh, that's like a metalcore thing. But no, death metal bands have been doing that oh. since the 90s. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a variant of that that becomes spazzy tech death shit. But I think what's crucial about this is that it doesn't actually, it doesn't really stop. It just mm-hmm. moves abruptly between two rhythms and speeds. Yeah, um, yeah. And it does it in a sort of, it preserves momentum. It's just like, it's like taking a really wrenching turn in a vehicle or something, um, like, without stopping. Uh, and it, it sets up this sort of, well, this is an important thing in Grind. We talked about this with, um, what was that um, really good kind of more hardcore-sided band that it was, I think, from Australia? Internal Rot. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Internal Rot has all these great kind of call-and-response things that work to sort of they're not supposed to be the main, you know, they're not like presenting, I don't know, all this jumbled spazzy stuff as the main riff. Instead, they have these like clean, directed, call and response kind of uh, rapid change up sequences that charge up and then release into some other riff. Um, and that kind of thing is definitely, um, yeah, de- definitely more of that is needed in nowadays stuff. That's like specifically a thing a grind band can do really well because it's supposed to grind.
we are back to review a record that we've put off for a couple months because, you know, a record this big is relevant for the whole year, right? So this is Immolation's Acts of God on Nuclear Blast. <laughs> um, we get we get one or two a year, guys. <laughs> year, yeah, it's always like the ruins of Beverest and one other thing, right? Um, yeah. The um. So, uh, this band, I feel like Immolation actually doesn't come up on the show that much because there are few, so few things that sound directly like them, in in modern death metal, right? Um. However, they've been immensely influential on all sorts of, like, important aspects of technique that have been so internalized that I into various genres that I think their influence has been almost sort of memory hold. Um, most obvious example of that being, like, you couldn't have ulcerate without emulation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so all, all this kind of, like, diso-orthodox, dis- dissonant Black Death stuff that's so big now, most of it terrible, um, but seen as very cutting edge. A lot of this stuff is just um, messing, you know, just changing little things about a an idea that Immolation perfected, you know, decades ago. Um, the, um, uh, you know, they're sort of like a... They're known as one of the most consistent bands in extreme metal at all, right? Uh, you know, they've probably, I don't, they probably never released a bad record. Um, and they've put out um, a ton of them, right? Uh, they've it's had like a career a, long enough. It's what? like a dozen albums or something at this point. Yeah, and yeah. they've had a career long enough that they don't e- that they don't even rush it. So it's been five years since Atonement, and Atonement was four years since Kingdom of Conspiracy. Uh, but yeah, no, they have one, Dawn of Possession, Here and After, Failures for Gods, Close to World Below, Unholy Cult, Harnessing Ruin, Shadows in the Light, don't remember that one, Majesty and Decay, Kingdom of Conspiracy, Atonement, yeah, it's 11 or something. I might have miscounted, but you get it. Um, uh, really, yeah, and, um, you know, they're remarkably consistent, but we can, there's different kinds of consistency, and I think we'll get into that a lot as we talk about them. Um, uh, they're a band that I'm, I wouldn't say I know them well enough as say like the Hessian firm guys probably do, right? Like if you're a certain kind of, um, uh, a death metal guy who's interested in the most sort of, um, sophisticated and elegant aspects of the genre, right? You're going to be like obsessed with immolation. But I'm, but for a guy who mostly listens to black metal, uh, I am, although that's somewhat changing these days, um, I am, uh, which we can talk about more, but, uh, you know, for the black metal guy, right, I am uh, fascinated with immolation. And I think I, 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 for such a big discography, I actually think I know it pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. So, Death Metal Guy, you've, of course, been familiar with them far longer than me, and, you know, everyone in your social milieu or whatever has opinions on on this and where they stand in relation to the other, you know, the other greats in Death Metal. I, I know your feelings about Immolation. Why don't you, uh, why don't you tell the kids? Uh... <sighs> God, it's it's so fucking weird to talk about because Immolation is like honestly one of the few bands in extreme metal these days where 
contrary opinions and hot takes just basically don't exist. Like, like I, I feel like I'm the one person who's immoli- oh, get immolation ready, skeptical. Guys. Here comes the death metal guy's contrary opinion. Uh, no, not even. I wouldn't even say it's a particularly hot take. Uh, I, I think that immolation, immolation, obviously, they're in the pantheon of the all-time greats. It's objectively very good music. Yada yada. Everybody's already made the case for immolation better than I ever could. However. It's just never a band that I've really connected with on a personal level. Um, uh, and to try to figure it, I mean, figuring out the reasons for that would be like an episode unto itself. I've heard a lot of Immolation records. Yeah. I have, At its strictest, it'd be discovering something about your taste. But we can certainly try to focus on those things that matter for the rest of us about their sound that you just can't get into i think that immolation you have talked a lot about um the idea of death metal bands doing black metal things and Mm -hmm. i think that in a sense immolation is almost the blueprint of that um obviously immolation is a death metal band but i think a lot of their a lot of what makes them unique and a lot of their success comes down to being a band that is clearly death metal in style, but ultimately reaching toward, in a large part, things that black metal does. You know, so, high, high, okay, so high emphasis on um, texture and harmonic mm-hmm. dimension, yep. high emphasis on atmosphere, uh, a kind of yep. generally epic quality uh, in its own sense, um, a, a, a sort of more open, uh, diffuse, but not necessarily in a bad way, sort of arrangement of the instruments. Um, in short, right? They're not all concentrated around the center to deliver a brick of heaviness. Yeah. Uh, in general, listening to Immolation, especially some of their most seminal stuff, like "Close to a World Below," feels to me more like listening to a black metal record in its sort of openness, its sort of wafting quality, um, than it does listening to a you know meat and potatoes death metal record. Um, and that is one of the defining features of Immolation. That's one of the things that's made them so successful and so influential. And that's the thing. It's like I can't even shit on the influence of Immolation because obviously it's great. It's just for me personally, um, I, I I guess it's just a case. I feel like I've been saying this a lot, but it's like it's a band reaching toward things in death metal that I'm just not really into death metal for. Um, Immolation is not a band particularly concerned with at least my vision of like brutality and my understanding of heaviness and extremity. It is all of those things in its own way, just not in the manners that I am most interested in as a listener. Death Metal Guy, I'm going to pitch you a crazy idea. Okay. (laughs) We will keep in the back that I don't think we can address right now, but... Do you think Immolation was a central influence on Slam? Um, I mean, I don't know, maybe to Obviously, degree. suffocation. There are things that are way more immediately proximate. But think about, like, the stuff you like that's the most far out, like Cephalotripsy or whatever, right? Yeah, no, the definitely. The idea yeah. that you structure an entire song 
based around these rolling, sort of strangely shaped mid-tempo figures that aren't really breakdowns, that have their own kind of internal, slow, convulsive momentum, uh, and are sort of like heavily rhythmically punctuated. It's a little bit like this sort of lattice work of slams you speak of. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, obviously, Immolation is coming from the New York scene, so they're immediately contemporary to some of the biggest roots of the slam scene. And I definitely get the idea that you're getting at that there is a sort of like a sort of reflective structural similarity there. But I guess I would say the difference for me really comes down to maybe something as as sort of reductive and simple as like tone. Um, yeah, 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 Im- yeah. Immolation is very... Um, wide and open and uh not really um <laughs> maybe there maybe it's just it's too smart in a way you know? yeah, no, I, like... I get that yeah you want death metal to be very you know especially new york style stuff to be you know well th- that's a thing we've talked about right you know with death metal you're into I mean, we converge on a certain kind of stupid death metal, right? A stupid mm-hmm. smart death metal, like Slugathor, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, which we you know, talked a lot about last last episode, or Bolt Thrower, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Stuff that is just powerfully physical in that way, right? But there's another kind of death metal that just sounds like a sort of um, hostile and super massive substance that is sort of uh, not on the periodic spectrum. Immol- like, here we here we go and and it, and that's the slam stuff right and immolation is immolation it, sound yeah. immolation sounds like an environment where acts yep. would take place i'm more interested in the ones that are about the acts taking place you know what i mean uh immolation is an incredibly detailed and magnificently executed landscape painting of a of a death metal band um but i am uh the guy that wants to hone in on the figures the tiny figures dotting that landscape i guess yeah i definitely see black metal as usually this is the most this is the most pretentious thing i've ever fucking said on the show no no, nowhere near dude nowhere near um uh but but the um I feel like black most of the black metal that really interests me is also very action oriented. But I hear what you mean in that it it also projects a sonic space or atmosphere. Well, right? Paradoxically, mm-hmm. I think I'm more interested in kind of the landscapey black metal. That's that's the distinction between the two of us. What makes me the death metal guy and you the black metal guy is that we we seek very mm-hmm. different things from the styles. We we've talked about this in fits yeah, and starts yeah, have, yeah, yeah. over the years. So well, yeah. I've told you that yeah. Aside from death metal that works like like hardcore or literally like black metal, right? You know, the other death of the classic death metal bands that's compared to, you know, black metal is Morbid Angel, right? Mm -hmm. But that's less a matter of comparison because Morbid Angel just works like black metal in a lot of ways, you know, sort of repetitive tremolo riffing, sort of, uh, you know, sinister nobility, uh, you know, very earnest Satanism. It's got a very black metal uh, atmosphere, definitely. Yeah, and it directly influenced, it just directly influenced the second wave, right? Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's so the, um, whereas Suffocate, or not Suffocate, yeah, Immolation, you know, the other Asian band, is, um, Immolation is very specifically death metal. Yes, but, 
Yes. Kind of move. We've talked about, you know, doing purely in death metal specific vocabulary, what you can do in black metal. And so that there's two different ways of being related to BM. Um, and, you know, I hear what you mean about the environments. I feel like immolation is often suffocatingly dense, like close to a world below is crushingly dense, but I get that it's kind of a density of texture and rhythm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. the way that all these figures are just sort of stacking on each other and just, uh, Immolation is dense. Immolation is dense and heavy in the way that Aesoth is dense and heavy. Yeah. Oh, it's exactly that. I was thinking about Aesoth a lot when I was listening to this record. I think Aesoth is massively influenced by Immolation and a oh, lot certainly. of orthodox yeah. stuff. I, I would, no, I would say that or, that Immolation is probably the primary death metal influence on orthodox black metal. Yeah. So we'll 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 get to that with some of the samples. Uh, but yeah, that's a great point. Um, Great minds, death metal guy. Great minds. But well, let's um, let's hone in though on yeah. this record in particular and where it fits into the discography because both yep. you and I. So something that's important to note is, um, and this is I think an idea that's only sincerely congealed uh, in the in the zeitgeist, so to speak, over the past few years, um, which is the idea that Immolation, okay, very consistent band. However, there is a turning point that occurs with Harnessing Ruin in 2005, um, where the music retains all of its unique qualities, but becomes distinctly more streamlined, shorter songs, uh, more uh, compact and kind of punchy. Um, You can kind of divide the discography into two halves there. Uh, And Acts of God definitely fits within that milieu. Um, But as you wrote in the notes, it's sort of like they're taking different takes on that thing with every new record, which I agree with. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted to periodize it, it's something like, um, uh, yeah, you've got the initial phase where it's identifiably kind of New York death metal, just of a particularly uh, dark and black metal adjacent variety and just strange variety, mm-hmm. right? So you got, you know, sort of the stuff that has the early 90s, the, the 90s era mystique, right? So you got mm-hmm. like here and after would be representative for that, yeah. right? Then you get stuff that just develops certain tendencies of this to make the most strange refinement and intensification of everything that makes them immolation right so you end up with like close to a world below right mm-hmm. that's their that's their panzer division marduk or whatever right that's and then you know. before and then before all that you have dawn of possession which is like a new york take on just ultras of madness which is a i actually love well, the, dawn of possession <laughs> that's what i'm saying that's just a death metal record it, it doesn't have the yeah it doesn't have like the sound quite yet yeah right? they yeah. go into the shed for five years and come out with here and after mm-hmm. um and so, they, you know, they, they sort of develop the weirdest tendencies in that further and further to close to a world below. That's another turning point. And then, quickly again, they pivot in 2005 to Harnessing Ruin, right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, yeah, I, I think there is another one of the big albums. Um, and since then, everything they've done has been a different version of what immolation but stripped down and direct might mean. Mm-hmm. 
So on Harnessing Ruin, I, I that one is so cool. I really like that record. It I, is a I very feel, good record. I feel like that should be like what regular black death metal sounds like right now. Oh yeah, agreed. It's it's definitely. Uh, I mean, it kind of it kind of scoops. Um, it's it's moving in parallel to moves that like Behemoth were doing with Demigod, like yeah. around the same time yeah. period. You know, you you could hear it was responsive to Behemoth and Nile. But in a very, you know, just way better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> still still with all of the, the sophisticated cording and with these really long, not meaningless snake charmer melodies, but like really lengthy melodies. And, you know, in terms of a record by Immolation that actually sounds like black metal, mm. that's it. Mm, but not that's like, interesting. But, yeah. but, you know, not like, obviously not like Candelabra black metal. Yeah, that sounds specifically kind of like air, like just sort of war metal and arrogant thrash stuff. It it feels kind of like an Ares Kingdom or Angel Corpse record. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can almost get the sense that like Vigno was like listening to Iron Maiden before they recorded it. Um, there, yeah. it's the only one that has it's the only one that has folk riffs. Um, very strange, vicious folk riffs. And, and, but and like, solos that operate like solos are supposed to in metal yeah, songs. Yeah. Or, you know, or even, you know, uh, yeah, and Ross, sounds, Dolan's uh, vocal, Ross Dolan's vocals often have this sort of ominous, solemn kind of, um, it's like a litany of accusation. Yeah. Right? Very well, relevant. I mean, Har- and, Harnessing Rune is like their heavy metal album. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's super heavy metal. And it's heavy metal in the way that, like, some of the most manly black metal is. Mm, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, the vocals, it, uh, as opposed to this sort of solemn, like, you know, uh, funeral, funereal presence that he often has. In Harnessing Rune, he's just, like, yelling shit that sounds cool. Yeah, he's right. he, it, it, like in the production. He's way up front. He's a lot more yeah. just kind of shouty than he typically is. Yeah, it doesn't have yeah. this sort of close to a world below it. There, it's up front, but it's kind of tortured, mm-hmm. and they're kind of they almost have this uncomfortable immediacy to them that uh, a wise man once pointed out makes them read kind of like new metal lyrics <laughs> inadvertently. Well, well, he's uh, Ross's Ross's vocals have always been interesting. They've always it's, felt a little like quiet or a little bit more purring i don't know know. it's part of the textural thing no no it's it's cool i like his style it's just but in close to world below they're a little more foregrounded and they're a little more sort of accusatory i you which you couldn't have the record without it and that that accuser the general atmosphere of accusation is something we'll come back to that's like Mm -hmm. fundamental to immolation um but like harness and ruin he's just like yelling badass shit Right. Yeah. That, that, that's the album where he just is like, what's his name? Murder face or whatever. The yeah. Guy from fucking <laughs> yeah. From Death, Death Clock. Clock. Yeah. Right? Um, well, yeah, it's like the title track is like a, a soulless machine that hunkers toward victory or something. It's yeah, that's fucking sick. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, um, so like what, what, so like after that, right. Um, I, I don't know shadows. I don't really know majesty and decay. Or Kingdom of Kingdom of Conspiracy, I think. Majesty and Decay, I think, was a slower one. Correct me if I'm wrong. Kingdom of Conspiracy was more like just down the line blasty. Mm-hmm. Atonement was fascinating, and that's what really got me hooked on Immolation. Uh, yeah. um, you see, Atonement's one of the ones I actually haven't heard. So. Dude, you'd like it. The thing is, like, hmm, okay. so this version of more immediate Immolation is like warm guitar tone 
almost like they're using like a classic rock tone or like orange amps, mm. like re- but like not good, like uh, <laughs> really kind of um. So this was like warmer and fuzzier, but in a way that just really sort of lets the textures blend across each other in a way that you normally wouldn't get. And they are they're pop songs. Like mm. they wrote them to be extremely hook focused. Not in the kind of here's the big riff motherfucker way on Harnessing Ruin. Yeah. But like which is more just like assault of massive riffs. But this is, it's each part is clearly demarked, and they all work to push the big riffs into the forefront. And the big riffs are extremely memorable on Atonement. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also extremely strange and slidey, and they kind of have this sort of um, Nayar Latotep oriental Lovecraft majesty to them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, Vigna, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's the, yeah, yeah, it's the it's only like, way he plays guitar, yeah. <laughs> No, in other records, it sounds colder or more chromatic. Well, yeah, there's range within his style, but it's always unmistakably him. Oh, for sure. Yes, he's got a style that he refines and hones and a discipline on each record. Oh, yeah, I I played with them one time, and all I did was watch Vigna on guitar. His guitar style is so fascinating, the way he plays. It's very unlike any other death metal guitarist. So so some of those specific qualities are really brought to the fore there, because you can hear the inflection in his playing, just the smearing and bending and... Yeah, he's he's um, got that he's got the Hendrixian quality of old school yeah. death metal players. Yeah. That's that's a good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Guitar guys, you know, back when death metal had guitar guys. Yeah. yeah, he's very tightly disciplined, but he's a soulful player in a weird way. There's a Definitely. lot of inflection and personality in it. Um, mm-hmm. So, Atonement is a really interesting record. It's sort of poppy and apocalyptic, um, and. Just and it has one song uh, called "When the Jackals Come" that is just like extraordinarily memorable, and it actually has just a straight up BM trem riff in it. Mm, like, okay, um, like like almost like a not even like the kind you would associate with immolation. It's almost like a Graveland riff. No, I'll, um, I'll check it out. Yeah, I mean, and and Acts of God. So that comes after Atonement. Atonement feels mostly slow. With, like, the big riffs are often blasted, but, you know, slow blasted. Mm. I get the sense that Acts of God is like, okay, now we're going to do a really brutal one. I, I'm sure in the studio they said brutal. We're, we're going to do a brutal one, and it's going to be um, extremely dense. We are not going to have hooks. Uh, we're going to have, it's going to be pure just um core rhythm riffage structuring the record and of course the solos Uh um and the game here where the game on the last one was to write pop songs the game on this one is to make a like old school album length real album right this is upwards of 50 minutes and to make it almost entirely out of three minute songs the two that are slightly there's one five and two that are just over four um and so this is a really long album out of this um, that's made out of basically like three hardcore records. Yeah. Um, so it's just like you know maybe they're kind of doing um, immolations, red and bl- rain and blood, except it's slow. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of songs on this record. There's 15 tracks. Um, so so overall, to get back to Acts of God specifically, now that we've done, uh, well, I was it, talking it, about it. I was talking about Acts of God. 
Well, yeah, no, it would, it, but for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, All right. Eventually, we'll play the samples, but there's a lot to say about you know. It's, well, yeah, it's it's, 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 it's fucking emulation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's like when we were talking about the chasm. It's like whenever we do this, it's like okay, we're doing kind of a a, a referendum on the band. We gotta tell them what we think about the band and then where the album is, and then finally we'll listen to the fucking. Band. <laughs> yeah. right. So. Okay, so I, I definitely agree that this is um, extremely direct. Uh, this is trying to be a death metal, a capital D, capital yes. M death metal yes. record in a way that maybe they haven't in a few records now. They um, might not have in a sense in a, since the 90s. I think this sounds yeah. more 90s than Harnessing Ruin. Yeah, the, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like, I, I feel like this reaches back... Um, Obviously, it's still got the core of the kind of redefined immolation sound of Harnessing Ruin, but maybe even punchier. I think that, in general, this is a record on the faster side in terms of their later discography. Um, and it feels like kind of the 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 oldest stuff, like the Dawn of Possession kind of death thrash stuff, is creeping back in, in, in fits and starts. Like, there's um, distinctly... I mean, Immolation and Morbid Angel have always kind of sounded like each other in important ways, uh, mm. specifically just in terms of guitar technique and shit like that. Um, here, that's pretty distinct. Uh, there's a lot of parts of this that really remind me of like Gateways to Annihilation by Morbid Angel. Um, however, Gateways is a a record of like six minute songs, and this is a record of three minute songs. So naturally, uh, the the focus is different as a result. Um, Overall, I like this. I like to listening to it. I can't say that it changes my my overall impression of Immolation style, but I do like the idea of them maybe pulling back on the abstraction a little bit and making yeah. something more, I guess, just more concrete in a way for me. This has parts where you're like, that is just a death metal riff. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. There's, there's, like there's no, there's no there's added. Not, there's, yeah. there's riffs that are. There are power chord riffs on here, you, and there's, you know, there's direct trem riffs. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. should we, should we actually listen to songs, or should we just skip all the samples and yeah, we just kind of riff? All, folks. <laughs> you know, that's, um, it, that's it, guys. But yeah, let's let's, let's actually uh, let's listen to some songs. Let's listen to songs. Okay, so I think um, this is a record where I mean, again, this is a long album. This is over fifty minutes, and we got fifteen tracks. I feel like it's about a third of the way through where things really start to congeal. I mean, these are I all completely agree with you. These are all songs that kind of sound the same. In the sense that death metal should, it is made of a homogenous material. There are, you know, songwriting conceits that repeat. Like, I always feel the need to clarify that everything sounding the same. That's how extreme metal is supposed to be. All the yeah, sound- it's all <laughs> supposed to sound the same. There are rare exceptions to this rule, right? In uh, general, it should all sound the same. But I do think and, that, and, and if you want to be the exception to that rule, you have to understand the rule. Yes, exactly. You got to know it to break it. Um, but I do think, and it might have to do with like the shortness of the tracks. I think it's a little bit difficult to get in the mood immediately, kind of from the onset of this record. Because you've got these very short, kind of punchy tracks. It takes a little bit for you to settle into it. But then we get to Overtures of the Wicked, uh, which I believe is like a, a pretty popular song off this record. I think it's kind of like one of the pseudo single tracks off of it. Um, 
And here we're just going to listen to Vigna do some really cool shit. Uh, he, you've got a, a wonderful thing, a technique that I think is super underutilized. The idea of a solo continuing over multiple unique riffs. Um, not, not even just an AB trade. There is a full sequence of riffs occurring yep. under the yep. solo, uh, which are given equal uh, weight in terms of musical importance. And uh, you're going to hear just the blending of a lot of techniques throughout Immolation's career. You're going to have rhythmic ideas that are very close to a world below. You're still going to have the melodic center from the post-harnessing ruin stuff. But it definitely points to a direction of, I think, the band trying to almost sort of like recenter themselves be like we've learned so many lessons over the past 15 years how do we start congealing this into a new foundation to expand from yet again It is a, it's very interesting to listen to Immolation these days, especially with songs so short, um, because it feels to me like they really tried to maintain the sort of density and uh, structural complexity of stuff like Close to a World Below, but compressed down to such a short time frame. It, it, it's... Um, I some you know I go back and forth. It's like maybe do these things need more breathing room, more space for repetition? But I also really like the the aggressive juxtaposition uh, of these different ideas. I, I like that it's challenging. Again, it'll repeat again three tracks from now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, like they won't. It won't be the exact same riff, but they have like you know maybe. I I don't know. It's immolation, so they have a lot of different riff types, but there are. If there's a type of riff you like in one spot, you will hear it again. 
Mm-hmm. So, so for that in particular, one love the the whole passage with that that first solo over that series of riffs and contrasting rhythmic ideas. Uh, one thing that I love from Emulation is that uh, they do real tempo changes. Uh, they don't just fake mm-hmm. their way oh, through with, you know, with just like cut time and double time stuff. There's actual, you know, n- non non metric, so to speak, tempo changes, mm-hmm. uh, which is something you hear in that really distinctly uh, between passages. Um, really like that. Really like the uh, one thing that I appreciate about immolation that their imitators don't understand is immolation still knows how to do cool death metal things. Like when the slow tom beat comes in, uh, Ross knows that the opening line should feature the word conquering. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. Ross doesn't talk about you know fucking math and shit. He talks about uh, hating Jesus and the apocalypse and stuff. It's like <laughs> it's, it's the kind of thing death metal's supposed to be about. Sorry, guys. Sorry, blood incantation. It's just it's it's not in the cards for you. <laughs> But yeah, so I guess this is kind of a good microcosm of the whole record. It's like you've got a real blend of ideas. It's like definitely I like what you said about the idea of uh, um, Immolation Circa Harnessing Ruin just being responsive to stuff like Nile and Behemoth. Like, why would you not respond to that? There's some of the biggest death metal bands in the world, and so is Immolation. Why would you not take lessons from each other? Um, and they managed to do that, managed to sort of create in a sense, especially on Hardesting Ruin, sort of pop death metal songs that still featured all of the most crucial aspects that made Immolation unique. And it's been very interesting, even as a guy that isn't like a huge Immolation fan, to watch them refine and iterate on that concept over the past decade and a half. I think this one and Atonement for sure sound more like Close to a World Below in terms Mm -hmm. of the riffing style and tempo then um, they sound to Harnessing Ruin. That's an important thing to clarify. Uh, Harnessing Ruin is blasty and, like, fast and has these really long riffs that repeat for a long time. That's a thing that makes it black metal um, Well, they also just... Uh, this, Harnessing Ruin also has, these like, are sort bolt of thrower riffs, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, like, it just... It's just got long, heavily repeated, massive riffs. So atonement and acts of God are direct in the way that it's like they have a couple different vocabularies they can use. And like, that's what I meant about the different modes of directness thing after Mm -hmm. that one. It's like these last two records have a vocabulary that I feel like is closer to their sort of solemn mid tempo comfort zone, but Mm -hmm. eh, I wouldn't even really call it comfort zone. They can play fucking fast. Right. It just, but he, but he, Immolation's fast parts always feel kind of mid-tempo. Yeah, I know? think the exception to that would be on, like, Harnessing Ruin or maybe certain parts of the early stuff. Also, I mean, I think I think Kingdom of Conspiracy was quite sort of, like, behemoth blasty. Uh-huh. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but the... Um, but sort of in terms of the, the signature thing of this roll you know rolling slowly accumulating mid-tempo kind of crush this is uh very this draws heavily on the close to world below thing it's just not like the songs aren't as long they're not as intricate they're not as uh and they they have more clearly defined sort of riff centers 
Um, yeah. Yeah, close. I, it's I would not say like that close to a world below is just like this convulsing. It's just hell. Close to close to a world below is still the the I think the apex of immolation in terms of just like sheer complexity and complexity difficulty intensity difficulty yeah it's their fuck you album it's it's the um yeah that's why I said like Panzer Division Marduk or whatever right yeah the one that's uncompromisingly them it's the definitive Um, statement of the band it's always going to be yeah 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 it's um the uh but yeah so this has. Yeah, I think in terms of our samples, this was a good one to start with because it highlights, you know, the classic, the new take on the signature sound. There mm-hmm. were a few other things you said when it started. You were like, oh, of course I chose the one with a slam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's got that very, like, uh, just, like, knuckle-dragging kind of Baphomet yeah. riff. To there open. are knuckle-dragging riffs throughout this, and the funny thing is that the slam intensifies as the vocals come in. Like, mm-hmm. they, they do another chug riff. Um uh, another thing I wanted to point out on this, which I think was really clear in the last riff with that like slow descending, <laughs> um, I feel like Immolation is heavily Doom influenced. No, oh, I'd agree. Yeah. Like there's a sad melody there. Um, and the lyrics, right? I'm coming back to that sort of accusatory thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've talked about certain bands in death and black metal sort of being inadvertently catholic yeah <laughs> well for for that statement for immolation in particular I, I have to give tribute to uh that legendary metal archives reviewer cheese's priced who is the first one who oh. kind of brought that up in my mind he mentioned that it, it wasn't in a review of immolation it was in a review of somebody else but he had he had mentioned offhandedly there was like there's something about immolation that suggests that you know they're uh, Immolation's whole standpoint has been very interesting, you know, in terms of anti-Christianity and that, uh, you know, as opposed to something like deicide, which is a sort of like petulant rejection of Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's like immolation are like sad that it's not true. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think something like that. And they're they're that in good faith. Yeah, yeah. Right. They're, they're, the, the, they know exactly the, what they're doing. Immolation aren't mad. They're just disappointed. <laughs> no, they're, 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 no, they're very mad. They are. It's, they it's are a ca- bit. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I think mostly what they're mad at is like pedophile priests. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of, I, I feel like a lot of these lyrics are directed towards not just to that, but to, there's a kind of, um, they're die. They're Jeremiah's or diatribes against like rot and moral corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, you know there was that. Um, you know that that sort of like map of the development of the ethos in death and black metal. That what's this the fucking um, uh, fucking DMU Brett did back in the day when it was mm. Amos, right? Yeah, yeah prosaic. And yeah. although there's all sorts of you know ni- things we can say we don't agree with about that, it's it really is pretty damn good model of just different kinds of positions that people took as the music developed. And he pointed out that for a minute there was like, you'd get these lyrics that dealt more with like accusations of Christian hypocrisy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in sort of in the way that some kinds of punk lyrics are, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe less direct, you know, the punk lyrics directly embrace Christian morality. Maybe not so much some of these death metal lyrics. They're just like, you are a hypocrite, mm-hmm. right? But um, 
there's that tradition survives in immolation. Um, and I, I, I feel like they are Catholics for whom God has died and for whom the church has died. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and they are uh, bitterly angry. And they see, they look around and they just see this sort of desolate fallen world. Yeah, um, immolation's, immolation's whole thing has never been like disagreement with the, the purported moral center of Christianity. It's been its failure to actualize in reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, like, so lyrics on this track in terms of like this sort of, you know, we've talked about how like if there's a, a generic outlet for Christianity in, in metal, right, one, it's like probably doom. Um, yeah. And the coolest variant of that is this intensely medieval Catholicism that you get in like Messiah Mark Collin or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, like Reverend Bizarre. And so here you get lyrics like, wickedness will overcome us mm-hmm. in this track. Like, that's a doom lyric. And that is a sort of uh, medieval flagellant lyric. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, um, you know, it, it's, it's very, yeah. It, it, so th- that's a characteristic part of their mood that we should, should you know, should talk about. Um, and I think they're playing up doom death throughout this, both of the New York variety and the British variety. Um, mm-hmm. So now let's, we all know when we talk about the New York variety, we all know we're referring to one band. Um, but, um, <laughs> uh, when Halos Burn is my next one. So, we're doing the tracks out of order, by the way. I think it just makes more sense this way. Um, mm-hmm. This one's towards the end, very, towards the end of the record, um, and it's in the middle of a distinct suite of three songs that goes from "Derelict of Spirit" to "When Halos Burn" to "Let the Darkness In." And then there are only two more tracks on the record. They're all kind of like similar in length, and they're uh, and similar in in gesture, and, and there's this kind of ratcheting up of intensity. Uh, so here you're going to hear the way that immolation is reincorporating shit that the orthodox bands took from them um, yeah I would listen to that listen to the resonance with orthodox black metal I mean especially stuff like ASOTH but really all of it <laughs> Suffering, the way these things are the same, the level of pain 
So you could hear it, right? Oh, yeah, it's like the first riff. <laughs> the first riff yeah. of the sample, yeah. So you, yeah, you get this sort of a simple blast riff with those clustered dissonant chords. And then later, in a more subtle way, they do a triplet blast. Like, I have a spaced, clearly spaced triplet blast that is very black metal. Um, yeah. That is like interesting. A, is that, you know, is that technology specifically derived from immolation or is it like kind of parallel? That That's an interesting topic in and of itself. Oh, no. I think the triplet blasting is like, that's like fundamental black metal technique. Right? Oh, I no, mean, no. I, I, I mean more in the, the harmonic ideas. The scronky chords. Yeah. I mean... Well, I think in terms of some of it is just like carrying certain aspects of mayhem further, right? Like Offermod was not listening to, you know, immolation. I don't think. Um, uh, and in terms of the orthodox stuff, um, I'm sure fucking uh, the dude from DSO was listening to immolation. Oh yeah, certainly. Yeah, I um, think they're. I think Aosoth is definitely listening to immolation. Oh, a- absolutely. Yeah, I mean that. That's. I listened to that Aosoth record again today. My God, that is fucking good. What, Arrow and Heart? Yeah. Arrow and Heart, yeah. Yeah. It's the it. one after it is probably incredible, too. I just have never listened to it. I, I've listened to the one after it. It's very good, but Arrow and Heart is forever that band. It's that band's close to a world below, you know? <laughs> That's it. It's Arrow and Heart, dude. <laughs> but anyway, so, no, yeah, this is... Um, yeah, this is definitely, I, I didn't notice there is a, a sort of sequence of more blasting, more distinctly aggressive tracks toward the end. Yeah, exactly. Um, and now we're going to go to two samples, not, mine is from the very end, Apostle. Yours is uh, just right, right in the middle, the- yeah incineration procession right we're gonna go to yours next this we both agree is like probably the best track on the record um yeah and it's weird because people don't really i haven't seen a lot of people talk about this song but i think it's like just far and away the best one most people stop listening after the middle (laughs) well that's a bad decision because i think this is a record that picks up substantially i i completely agree yeah yeah we we talked about that already say a sad thing about people's listening habits but like of well, course, I, you know. I, I it's think one it's thing a, when you're listening to something on your commute, and another thing where you are ostensibly getting paid to do it on a podcast. Well, it's a nah. I think it's um, I something I kind of respect about this record. I'm not sure if it's like in my own idealized mind the best way to do it, but I like the idea of okay. So Immolation is doing their version of like the middle of Rain and Blood. Here's mm-hmm. a, a bunch of shorter tracks that sound on the surface very similar to one another mm-hmm. and you have to dig out the idiosyncrasies oh. and the things that make these individual songs special so incineration procession the ninth track um easily my favorite on the record uh and it's because uh it's the one that sort of in a sense breaks out from the traditional immolation riffing style the most um that's not to complain about Immolation's riffing style. Obviously, it's iconic, and you know Vigna is one of the greatest death metal guitarists of all time. However, after twelve albums, you know you 
you're yeah. gonna have to break out. It's like the yeah, the greatest we, we agree. the greatest guitarist in human history is not gonna be able to do twelve full length albums of shit that is Im- all imagine the, yeah. how bad the twelfth Jimi Hendrix album would have been. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like that's why you're supposed to die when you're twenty seven. Yeah, Victor's yeah, got him there. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, um so here he breaks out and he does stuff that is more kind of traditionally melodic um, in a way that is not super familiar uh, to earlier immolation work Um, stuff that is like accessing sort of melodic black death ideas that I I'm just I haven't really heard these explored before on immolation which is not to say that I think immolation should move toward the center you know Uh, but I think the incorporation of these ideas for big dramatic peaks is a really cool new development for the band. And this, uh, you know, this this section of the song, this sort of like ending half is, I think, kind of the climax of the album. So yeah, I think um, it was like I was saying. It's like it's always been challenging for me to develop a sort of like immediate emotional connection with emulation. This is a part that's like really emotionally resonant to me, uh, and that could just me being a, a fucking normie, you know, picking the part with like sort of the big obvious riff. But it is the reason it works as sort of far away from the traditional immolation riffing style as it is, is that there's been eight tracks of preparation for it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this this cathartic, you know, emotional collapse at the end of this song. And one thing that I was thinking of sort of echoing the idea of, uh, you know, immolation being, you know, in some sense, like in part a doom band is like. That big melodic trem riff, if you, yeah, you break that down, it's just like kind of plaintive single notes or chords. You have like a Mm. candle mass or like a warning riff there. 
you know, that's just pure, just epic, heavy metal Dorian scale it's, stuff it's there. Sad. And it, it's and I think that's what I like about it. It's like th- this sounds kind of weird, but it's like immolation in a sense. It's like, oh, this is one of the rare moments I've heard like vulnerability from immolation. That's that's a good point. Um, it's it's become, just you know, fucking it, sad. You know, it's th- there. There is yeah. Yeah, that's been an undertone. I mean, certainly like the gloom and sense of disappointment and whatever has always been present, but it's usually been much more of this sort of, uh, yeah, this sort of, um, uh, sort of, sort of, of the world, right? Paradoxically righteous anger, you know? Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Not, not in a dumb way, right? But mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah. um, and, uh, it's, and, and and here, the melancholy has always been sort of the unspoken thing. And here it's very spoken. I think that's a very good point. It's not the only time. So they have... So, yeah, what else can you say about that riff? I mean, if you want to think about what that riff sounds like, right, it's like the most noble Swedish black death or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. However, and, you know, there's thankfully more and more bands that are starting to draw on that tradition. However... Who do you think can actually play like those guys? Vigna, right? Yeah. yeah. And he can put his own inflection on it, right? The way this is delicately phrased and has that sort of da-da-da, it has that staccato thing at the end, mm-hmm. right? Um, different from sort of streaming trem. That's entirely him. Yeah. Uh, and there's also there's also just like the the unique rhythmic sense of emulation, which that's is... That's what I mean, yeah. The, the yeah. timing and the phrasing on that riff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's always been a crucial part of Vigna's guitar style is um, the, the he never wants the notes to land where you expect them to. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that's a, that riff in particular is a much more straightforward one than he usually yeah. does. But it also has to do with Immolation's drumming style. Uh, and, of course, the drumming is phenomenal on this. It's been phenomenal on every Immolation record. And that's sort of... It's interesting because the drumming on Immolation records has always sort of echoed that undercurrent of sadness. It always feels like it's falling apart. You know, mm. it's uh, there's a sense of like there's power behind it, but there's a way that Immolation parts of songs tend to sort of dissolve and collapse, you know, at the end of things. It's I mean, very melodic drumming. Also. It's extremely and musical. In yes. terms of being sad and musical, no, maybe not falling apart, but in terms of sad and musical, it's like Joy Division. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I could Executed definitely executed at like you know, like <laughs> a, a, a gigavolt greater technical ability, but yeah, you can you can definitely you can definitely go like full fucking rock music critic and find the ways that like this connects to Orchid, you know. Um, but but also just in terms of like open sadness what are we reflecting well we're reflecting like one of the most important tracks on like close to a world below uh, father you're not a father like that is to me one of the most important songs uh, on that record and possibly in emulation's career which is another yeah. another place of like unusual vulnerability i think mm-hmm. um it's interesting to see them access that, I guess. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, speaking of things like that, or rather, speaking of a precedent for that riff and of strangely timed sort of 
sort of um, majestic, strangely timed trim riffs, they actually have always had those in their back pocket, right? So this isn't the first time they've used direct Dorian melody, right? They mm -hmm. also have that that is all over Harnessing Ruin, although often sort of it's like part of the riff will sound like that or whatever. Yeah. But it's all over Harnessing Ruin. They really have things that sound like Maiden riffs. Um, and actually, like the biggest riff on Dawn of Possession is like that. And the key thing is, in 1996, or not Dawn of Possession, sorry, the, 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 here and after. In 1996, right, that's directly simultaneous with Swedish Black Death. Mm -hmm. um, the, the biggest riff is on, like, Nailed to Gold. Um, it is... It's not really sad. It's it's more sort of... It's it's actually a more noble or martial-sounding riff, but it's strange and muddled, and, you know, it sounds like it's being made in hell. Uh, and it's shaped in a really odd way where I can't tell if it's... If each of the um, notes is hanging over slightly where we'd expect it to be in the bar, or if it's in pure inflection. Mm -hmm. Um you know, some of our listeners will know exactly what riff I'm talking about, but it's this gigantic trem riff and that just uh, gigantic murky trem riff that comes out of nowhere, and they never really play anything like it again in the record. And this this riff is very similar in spirit to that one, although less sort of weird and aggressive sounding and more sort of sad. And you could play this riff on, on Incineration Procession. You could play that riff on flamenco guitar. Mm -hmm. I, I think you could probably say that about a lot of immolation stuff in general. Yeah. You can you yeah, can play all their stuff. True. You can play immolation on classical guitar or piano, and it gives the same quality. You know, this is one of the few bands I would actually trust to do a record of jazz covers. <laughs> <laughs> like completely, they'd have to completely rewrite. You, you know, you give them license to like change every interval so it you know sounds cool, but yeah. like. Um, you know, I, I love to hear the version of a Love Supreme or whatever, right? But um, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a love not supreme. <laughs> um, uh, but um, let's go to uh, oh yeah, and the, I wanted to point out. Speaking of those lyrics, another thing like that. Before the blast, the lyric is something. He says, "Innocence, something. Shame on your soul." Um, so again, this sort of like righteous rage. Mm -hmm. um, let's go to Apostle. Last track. Um, basically, everything that's cool about this is also, there are things like it also in Incineration. So you can hear on the back end of the record some relatively consistent stylistic gestures being developed. Um, let's, uh, yeah, let's check it out.
okay, well, the trem, I, you know, I actually fucked up the timing on that sample, but it doesn't matter. The trem riff that comes in right where I stopped the sample is, like, phenomenal, but you'll have to listen to the record to hear it. Um, <laughs> you know, that that's a very immolation riff. The trem riff is very immolation, but also very black metal. Uh, you can uh, listen to the record for that. But the real thing I want to talk about there is just the fucking chug. Right? Um, that is... Uh, Oh, I actually totally fucked up the sample there. Oh well, it doesn't matter. We've said so much shit. <laughs> no, I just I had I had something more to say about the sample, but it doesn't matter. Um the big chug riff there sounds a lot like winter, and I think it might even be almost note for note like kind of the riff on the shreds of sanity by Bolt Thrower. Mm, and yeah. throughout the record, they just play these throwdown riffs. And I've I haven't heard them ever do anything like that, even on the even on here and after, something like that. It's uh, yeah, it's I, I, I think that people have the tendency to forget the New York origins of immolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, I, I, I was uh, hanging out with, uh, you know, Ross at uh, a show I was playing with them one time. We, we, we talked a little bit back and forth, and I definitely got the sense from the guy that he is more of a, despite the, like, supernatural complexity of his music that he is much more of a down-to-earth death metal guy than a lot of people might initially think you know there's sort of like when you were talking about um you know watching interviews with skepticism the realization (laughs) that these guys really are just like fucking metalheads at their core despite the, the abstraction of their music you know yeah, and so that's that's I think a good way to bring it around to some of the bigger question stuff. Um, to wrap this up, it's like, yeah, the thing, yeah, immolation have always been like there. It's a very, yeah, there, there's like definitely a working class spirit to the band for sure. Even just in terms of the, their persistence and their sort of dedication. Um, uh, but they um. So I guess the question really is, um, where to now, right? And this gets back to that thing that, um, uh, a thing you were saying in the notes that I thought was very smart. Um, there's a substantial contrast in this music between the abstract textural harmonic ideas and weird rhythms and time signatures versus their insertion into relatively straightforward death metal song structures, right? Mm-hmm. And now, compared to black metal, these have always been very complicated songs. But especially in this latter phase of immolation, they very consciously work to make sure, no matter what they're doing rhythmically or harmonically, it's always overall working like a just dense riff-driven death metal song. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's something really admirable about that. Um, it's... I think they, by even by 96, when they were recording their really signature record, right, they'd listen to everyone else just, like, hit the wank pedal, right? Yeah. Or, or, the, or start writing pop-heavy metal or whatever. They're like, we want none of that. And so what path is available at that time? It's like, well, you write this really sort of involved music, but you remain firmly dedicated to writing death metal songs. Um, and that's one thing that's allowed their kind of you know, allow them to be consistent in a way that Motorhead was not, in a way that Bathory was not. Um, But it does mean that, like, the last 
you know, there is profound artistic vision behind immolation, but the artistic vision coalesced in the 90s, right? And there have been maybe one or two major pivots since then, right, around Harnessing Ruin. Uh, and, you know, maybe you could also identify Close to a World Below as a pretty significant step in the vision. But, like, for the last while, they've had a clearly defined vision, and it's almost shifted from art music to craftsman's music, as you would say. Like, a lot of what they do is refined crafting of the vision that already exists. So what interests me is like where this band is still capable this band is capable of another big breakthrough absolutely where do you think they would take it or should what if they just did a doom record
We'll get to put on our Facebook headsets and have furry sex on the virtual moon. I mean, that's pretty tight, too, but... <laughs> <laughs>